Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, how about the Washington Nationals? With a history of postseason failure and down 3-1 in the eighth, they won. I mean, it was a bad call, I thought. Even with a replay, I thought it was clear that was not a hit by pitch. That ball hit the bat and then hit the hands. That was a foul ball, but they got a base runner there. They got a bloop single off a broken bat. They got a misplayed single to right, and they got three runs. So there you go. Milwaukee's going home. The Nationals are going to L.A. to play the Dodgers. Uh, American League tonight, it's Tampa Bay and Oakland in the, uh, in the American League wildcard game. All right, time for us to talk a little football. PK and I spoke with Dennis Dodd, national football writer for CBS. He joined us in the show yesterday, but for you early risers, I know you're headed into work and then you don't get a chance to listen. Although you can download the whole show at 1280thezone.com or you can go to Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you go. Uh, but here's Dennis Dodd talking college football, talking Urban Meyer, talking Utes, Washington, USC, and Pac-12. Dennis Dodd with PK and I. Dennis, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We are doing well this morning. We are doing well. Um, <laughs> we've been a little mystified by the Pac-12 race. Some expectations have been turned upside down. Injuries are impacting teams, certainly Cal. Now that you've seen a few games, can you handicap the conference? I went into last weekend really conflicted. I said, either this is the best conference in the country, because they had five ranked teams, or they're just going to do it again and, and and beat each other up, and that's exactly what it looks like is happening to the point that our great our friend uh, John Wilner had that great stat that for the first time since 2009, uh, there'll be no undefeated teams going into October for the Pac-12. And so what that what that tells you is what what's already happened these last two years has only been one team that's lost less than three games, one team. Uh, each of the last two years, now was Washington State last year, eleven and two. So I suspect that's going to happen again. And then I don't know what does that mean. What you know, where where's the Pac-12 uh, sit? How do people view that? Kim, they hang their hat on possibly Dennis being the most balanced conference out there. Oh, I think you can, but again, you're not in the playoff conversation. You're probably only getting one um, New Year's Six berth. Uh, you know, while the, the discussion, as soon as the, the, oh, the calendar hits November, it's all about Tuesday nights and seeing who's in the, in the CFP. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it's just, you know, I, I thought when Oregon lost to Auburn on opening night, and I was at that game after dominating Auburn for mo- most of three quarters, and then they lose, I went, uh oh, this is not good. You know, they, especially after the way Oregon played, they had to win that game, and they didn't. How much do you buy that Washington can make a, a late run here? Chris Peterson's got a history think, of doing yeah, well in the I conference. Think Washington's prob- yeah, I think Washington's probably got the best chance of going 12-1 and one or whatever, whatever it would take to get in the playoff discussion. It looks like the cream has risen to the top there with, with, uh, with Chris Peterson and the Huskies. It, it, I heard bad things, not bad things, I just heard inconsistent things about Eason in camp, and it looks like he's taken over a little bit and really settled in. And they've got an identity now. They could always play defense. Um, so I, I think for the Pac-12 chances, I guess the best thing is to hope that they finish out. Yeah, I, I think that Washington right now, and I've been going back and forth, it's been week to week, but for a couple of weeks now I've had Washington 
as the best team in the conference. It remains to be seen. Yeah. So I would give them the best chance, but I want to touch on these other teams that are nationally ranked with only one loss, and you just referenced Oregon. If And the Utes are in this position. You know, they, they mm-hmm. had the loss. It's not exactly a horrendous loss. Not necessarily a great loss, but I don't know that, that even exists. But you know, losing by seven to the to the Trojans in the Coliseum isn't the worst yeah. thing. And you got yeah. the Devils lost by three to Colorado. No, I don't think they're going to go uh, run the table. But if somebody else, or including Washington, it, if these other teams who have one loss, you are you automatically eliminating them going into October just because of the one loss? If they should get hot and find a way, which I don't think will happen anyway, but just hypothetically find a way to win the rest of their games? Yeah, like you said, like a team like, you know, Arizona State, I think we all agree isn't going to win the rest of their games. Right. Um, You know, Utah has been so banged up, and now it's a Zach Moss situation. What is the Zach Moss situation right now, by the way? Uh, Well, they got the bye week coming up, and Kyle's talking about him returning. Now, the first game after the bye is at Oregon State. You'd have to think that they would be able to beat Oregon State. And then they come home and got the Sun Devils. In a three-week stretch, they got the Sun Devils and Cal at home, and then the first week of uh, November, they go up to Seattle. Yeah, so okay, they, uh, they got a legitimate shot to set up that Washington game as, a, as yes. an elimination game. So that's good for them. Right. Uh, yeah, Oregon, I mean, I, I really like really like what they've done. I really like what Mario's done. They've got a shot, but, you know, they've got an equal shot of everybody just knocking each other off, and everybody's got two losses again. So, yep. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, – I'll say this on the, on the hype meter – uh, nationally, the Pac-12 is not a, not really a discussion point right now. So I look at the ACC, and it's you know Clemson, and then every everybody else, and and we do follow mm-hmm. Virginia a little bit because Bronco Mendenhall was here, but they they got beat pretty soundly at at Notre Dame, and then Clemson plays this one point game with North Carolina, only drops one spot. I'm looking right now, and I know there's still a lot of games to sort all this out, but I don't know how people are ranking Clemson. In front, and I get it's not the playoff committee; it's just the media, and I don't know. Maybe right. They're not paying attention, but there is no way right now I would pick Clemson against LSU or Ohio State. It'd be, you could drop them down to fifth or sixth right now, and I, I don't think I'd I complain. I dropped them to sixth, and I said, "Look, because I start thinking about it like the committee does. Like, okay, let's take after five weeks, let's put everything in a bucket, shake it out, and see who's got the best." Well, I mean, you could make a damn good case and some have for Auburn uh, you know being number one they're the only team in the country that's beaten two ranked teams um, you know uh, I have Alabama number one just basically I think they've, they've got the most fun team to watch they've got the best offense in the country whatever but you know LSU has the best win they won a top 10 game on the road at Texas Georgia uh, beat Notre Dame um, who else am I missing in there? Uh, Ohio State. I saw Ohio State on Saturday night, and they're the best. They're the best team I've seen so far, and it may not even be close. They've got everything. They've got the quarterback, defense, speed, size. So you put Clemson in there, and you go look. Even if they weren't national champions last year, that's that team hasn't realized its potential yet. I think we all agree with that. You're still a little shy on Oklahoma because of the defense or the defensive tradition, anyway, and reputation. No, I like I, I do like Oklahoma, uh, and they have gotten better defensively, marginally better. 
But after everything I've just told you, where do you slot Oklahoma? And all those teams I just told you, four or five, they have better accomplishments to date than Oklahoma. I think they're really, really good, and Jalen Hurts is one of the best stories in the country. Yeah. Um, but other teams have done more. So it just seems like the Pac-12 is taking hits, and I get that. But then I look at the ACC and think, you're underwhelmingly uh, underwhelming me. And I look at uh, the Big 12, and if Texas loses to Oklahoma and slips up somewhere, and they're a three-loss team, Oklahoma could be a little short on glamour wins. I mean, you scheduled UCLA and then UCLA. Can, can you explain what's happened at UCLA? Chip Kelly was going to do better than this, wasn't he? I thought. I, I did, too. Uh, but, um, look, the, as wacky as it was, the Washington State win was huge for Chip and UCLA. Nothing, I mean, nothing's going to happen after year two to Chip. Casey Wasserman is the guy who controls everything there, the media mogul. He built the football facility. He was key in getting Chip to go there. So Chip Chip is not, not going to get fired. But, again, what, is, what has happened at UCLA? I, I am of the – of the increasing opinion that Jim Mora left it a lot worse than anybody thinks. Um, and that's what I've been told, that it was really thin there when he got there. And, again, they're not Chip's players, not Chip's offense. takes time to get them there. He doesn't have a quarterback, I don't think. Um, you know, the Dorian Thompson, the kid there, um, doesn't look like a difference maker. I might be wrong. But, um, you know, it, it's going to take a while. This SC situation continues to intrigue us because of the Urban Meyer connection, and we were around him for those two years. That was yeah. the biggest whirlwind two-year run we've ever had. I've been. I was. I was intimately involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You never. I've. I've been in this business a long time. I've never been around somebody like Urban. Uh, so it just seems like it's inevitable as far as Helton being dismissed. Do you hear anything? Because. Urban has kind of floated it out there, but hasn't rejected it, but hasn't really embraced it fully. What do you think could happen there? Oh, I think he'll definitely be back. Uh, USC is the most likely place, but I definitely think he'll be back. Uh, he just he keeps having that he keeps having that qualifier. Like I believe I'm done. I think I'm yeah, done. Exactly. And then in a uh, in a it was last week I think or a week before last in a story in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, this long sit down, he says right in the middle of the story, well, you know, I, I missed the competition. I missed the players. Um, and that reporter said, does that mean you want to come back? And he said, not right now, but ask me in a year. Well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You <laughs> you're, you're running a restaurant. You're on TV. You're teaching. You're an associate athletic director. You just told us that, you know, the door may swing open in a year. So that, that, that was the most telling comment to me. These guys, you guys know this, these guys just can't stay away. Yeah. Um, you know, Mac Brown, Les Miles, there's tons of, you know, Greg Schiano is going to be back if, if Rutgers can lure him back. Um, they, these guys just can't stay away from coaching. And he's only 56. This is the prime of any head coach's career. So, yeah. So when he was at Utah, he had an out. He could drop everything and go at the drop of a hat to go to Michigan, Ohio State, or Notre Dame. Now, it's a little tough given the rivalry, and he did just have a quote about not replacing Harbaugh. It's tough to go to Michigan. But Notre Dame, for a guy who's 56, and I get if you're a 17-year-old recruit now, Notre Dame, you know, you may not think Notre Dame's all that. 
But if you're Urban Meyer and you're 56, you do think Notre Dame is all that. They've just been down for a little while. Yeah. Do you think well, – how, how long does Brian Kelly have left there? Because obviously he's winning a lot, but obviously he's been there a long time, and that, that job wears on people after a while. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't see him leaving. I mean, I think – look, he, his current, he got extended his current contract. If he fulfills it, he'll be the second longest tenured coach there next to Newt Rockney. And if he leaves to go anywhere, it would be the NFL. Now he might do it. It might, you know, it might just come after this year. But I think, I think he's happy. I mean, I think you know they're knocking at the door playoff wise. It looks like they're going to be competitive again this year. So it's not like they're trying to run him out. I, I think the fact that he's gotten them to the BCS championship game in the playoff twice in seven years says something for an independent, even like Notre Dame. That's a pretty big accomplishment. So I, but yeah, if it came open, I, I think you know, I think. Urban would walk there on hands and knees. This whole thing with the California and getting uh, profits for the players, uh, the student athletes off their images and all that stuff is intriguing. But I want to boil it down to what you think it means for the average fan because the average fan wants his or her team to win. And they really don't right. care about any, any other stuff. So what does it mean for the actual balance of power with the schools being able to win, aside from a player getting money? Uh, nothing. Um, however this shakes out, Alabama's going to get better players than Vanderbilt. Right. You know, no matter, because, you know, let's face it, Alabama has more marketable players than Vanderbilt. You know, if they end up getting paid for commercials or whatever. Here, here, here's the answer to your question. You hit, this is the central issue of this whole thing. How much and they players make a lot now. I'm telling you right now, they, they get a lot of benefits and they make a lot. NCA sanctions. I had a long snapper at LSU tell me that he makes makes guys twelve thousand dollars a year. He's putting money away for after he graduates. And this is all benefits from the NCAA, cost of attendance, what have you. Okay. How big is that number to the point where it's gonna turn off the average fan? And they don't, you know, take out a second mortgage to get season tickets or tailgate for the next 20 years. I think that's one hell of a big number. So I don't, I, I don't think the average fan, like you said, really cares about it. Just give me some ball. We just want to win. Yeah. Dennis Dodd, National College football writer for CBS Sports, joining us here. You know, there's a, there's a thought that um, a booster could funnel money to players and pay them a ton and change the balance of power. But I would say that's what happened at Oregon and Oklahoma State. A booster took a program that really hadn't been much for a long time and turned them, if not into national champions, at least into pretty competitive in the conference. So is it going to be any different than what we saw happen with T-Boom Pickens and with Nike money? No, no, it wouldn't. Uh, First of all, you said change the balance of power. It wouldn't change the balance of power because of what I just said. Alabama would have 10 marketable players. Vanderbilt would have none. So there's nothing in cost of attendance that's going to make uh, Kansas a national power overnight. It's still going to take coaching and everything else. So, yeah, there, look, there's a way to regulate it. Um, you know, and, and, yeah, let's say the local car dealer pays some guy $50,000 to do a commercial. Well, guys, let's face it. At least it would be above board. Yeah. yeah. That money, there's, there's a shadow economy in uh, a certain conference down south. 
<laughs> where six-figure payments for players are the norm, and everybody knows it. So at least this way you'd have it above board, and in that sense it would be regulated somewhat. Yeah, it's like gambling. If you make it legal, then right. it can be regulated. Right. right, and that's what's happening with that state-by-state right. you know, single-game gambling. Yeah. Dennis, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking a little college football with us. All right, you got it. Thanks, guys. There's Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports. When we come back, how about a little jazz talk with Joe Ingles and Mike Conley? Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Joe Ingles and Mike Conley went to the podium at Jazz Media Day. Joe had his comedy routine. You get to know Mike Conley a little better. You've read about him, but you haven't heard that much from him. He's ready with a nickname. You're going to hear a question from Donovan Mitchell right at the end. He was in the back of the room waiting to go next. Here's Joe Ingles and Mike Conley. This question's for Mike. Mike, you came to Utah with so much playoff experience, both both just as a player and on, in Memphis. I, my question is, like, now that you're on the Jazz, what similarities do you see between those Memphis days when they, when they were at the height of their abilities and this Jazz team? Um, well, I think, one, the principle of defense is, is really huge here. Um, in Memphis, that was something we, we hung our hat on. Um, we know that's something that you can that can travel in the playoffs and and when you're playing you know not so well or you know not making shots defense will, will get you through and um, the depth I think depth is another thing we don't rely we didn't rely on one or two guys uh, we relied on just the, the team aspect of it and uh, got different you know performances from different guys each night so um, here I feel like we have similar qualities a lot of guys that can, we can lean on um, which makes it you know pretty hard to defend. Ben. Both of you are unique, Mike. I know that changes this year, but you've played your whole careers with one team. What's the general familiarity with other players in the league when you haven't played with a lot of different players around the league? Like with each other, how well do you know each other coming in day one? I don't like Mike at all. <laughs> nah. I think you, I mean, I think you just get to know guys. I've only been, it's only my sixth year where Mike's obviously been around a hell of a lot longer than me. <laughs> Um, but you just you, you get to know guys. You get to know guys through other guys. Um, me knowing Mark a little bit better, you get to, I got to know Mike a little bit, playing against him and talking a little bit. But um, I mean, it's never the same as what you do when you obviously get to play with somebody. So um, yeah, we're excited for all our, our new additions and and get this get this year started. Mark. Uh, you're asked to bring, beside uh, a veteran uh, quality and, and your uh, point guard skills, leadership to this team. Can you talk about that and what your skills are in terms of being a leader and how you hope to bring that to this team and help you uh, make, to, make it to the next level? Um, you know, really, I'm just coming to be myself. Uh, I'm not going to try to come in and, and be overwhelming or take over the room because these guys have played together for a while and, and Donovan's turned into a great leader, Joe's a great leader, Rudy, all these guys 
lead in different ways. Um, in my particular way, it just might be a little bit different. So I might just, you know, I demand a lot out of myself, which means I demand a lot out of the team in the same aspect. So um, I, I basically just practice what I preach. I, if I, you know, want guys to be in early or, um, you know, just be more professional, I got to be showing that as well. I'll be the first one or, you know, in the gym or whatever I have to do to, to, to you know, let everybody know you know where I stand, and, and that's how I've always been. And uh, like I said, it's, it's just easier because I, I can just be myself. And um, we got great coaches and great leadership there, so it's it's it should be pretty easy. Yeah, Mike. A lot of people are excited to watch you and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt. What excites you most about playing alongside him, and what are you expecting in that backcourt? Um, well, it's, it's exciting. I mean, he's you know very talented probably one of the more talented guys I've had a chance to, to have as a teammate and um, and he's just so selfless at the same time you know he's a guy that makes plays for a lot of people uh, can take over games and, um, and for me just to be able to sometimes just watch uh, just be in a corner and just watch it happen will be fun and um, and it should be just a, a, a fun ride for everybody for everybody Tony Jones back here Joe, um, yes. given <laughs> Mike wanted to answer all the questions today. We were, we were trying. Thank you. Given your World Cup responsibilities, I mean, is there are there any fatigue concerns in the preseason? Is there any is there are there any load management um, you know, in your future, especially in the preseason, not in the regular season, but just in the preseason? Um, I only landed thirty six hours ago, so I'm fatigued either way right now. Um, but I, I haven't obviously sat down with um, that kind of medical staff yet to, to work that out or, or if there is going to be. Um, obviously, like Mike said, with the depth of our team, I think we can, um, even during the regular season, use it at times um, if guys need a, a break at, at some point. And um, I guess for me, with the national team, I've done it every year since I was 17. So it's not really... Um, too different for me um, but obviously there, there's going to be times that, that things might need to be um, looked at but yeah I don't I'm, there's zero concern from my end of that Mike Dennis Lindsay was in here earlier and he referred to you as a Pied Piper kind of intimated that you might have been out recruiting trying to land some guys in the summer Is that right what what, <laughs> what, what what did you what did you do how do you how do you do that how did you try to help the team I Honestly, I guess I don't know. Um, I, I've had a lot of relationships with guys throughout the, you know, my career, and whether playing against them or with them on the same team. And um, once I found out I was coming here, obviously he was I, so excited to I play was, with me. Yeah, I was. It really was Joe. Joe was the main reason. He was the first one to text me, so I was excited. But uh, just wanted to, you know, I just want to win, and, and I just thought of, you know, whoever they're looking at. Um, let me know and you know whatever I can do to help whether it's text or calling the guys if I know them and just having to be you know Jeff and guys like Ed and and Emmanuel you know um you know I'll give them a call and see what they see where their minds at and um and tell them if they want to win and be a part of a good culture you know you know I feel like this is the place to be and um you know they all bought in I'm Julie Jagam from the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, so the NBA has the new rule about uh, heights and verifying heights. Uh, sizing up Five, your six. new, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sizing up your new teammates. Uh, is there anybody that you think particularly might uh, have a chance to either gain or lose some inches? 
Look at that thing on the top of his head. He gained about six inches. You're right. I was 6'9", so I'm a 6'9", backup point guard, so... <laughs> I think I'm the same height as, I, as I'm listed. I don't know about Donovan, though. Donovan's definitely smaller. Have <laughs> you been that like, through high school, I've been I've been around six one, so I might give or take the day or the hair, you know, just <laughs> around there. Question for John. With, with all the new additions, including yourself, Mike, um, what kind of uh, offensive and defensive versatility do you think the Jazz are capable of this year? Uh, we definitely have a lot of options. Um, I think we have a, a team, like we mentioned earlier, that. <clears throat> with our depth and guys who play both sides of the ball um, allows us to get into a lot of different schemes and a lot of different plays that other teams might not be able to do, um, which is exciting. You know, we can let Joe guard point guards like he's guarded me his whole, you know, his whole career. Um, you know, and, and I can guard whoever, you know, so it just depends. You have so many different options and people can do different things. And, um, and it's exciting when you have that versatility and uh, offensively, you know, when a guy like Rudy rolling down the middle and, and you know, four playmakers and shooters around um, and most times will, I think, change the game a little bit for everybody. Mike, what did you know or what was your impression of Quinn Snyder as a coach before uh, you came here and, and what have your impressions been since you've been able to, to connect with him a bit? Uh, in regards to coach, I always thought he was a great coach. Um, I didn't know him well, obviously, until the summertime. And um, he's really intense. You know, he really knows his stuff. Um, when he tells you he's going to talk to you for five minutes, it might <laughs> be like an hour. But um, I've learned that, you know, over the summer. And But it's great, man. He's just constantly thinking of ways to improve uh, the team himself uh, as a coach. And I think it'll be good for me. Um, you know, to, to have a guy like that who's just looking at me and trying to make me a better pl person and player every day, and I know he does that for the rest of the team. Mike, I guess one of the biggest storylines in the early part of the season is how quickly all the uh, the new guys are going to mesh. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and uh, can you help accelerate that process? Yeah, um, I think we'll be fine. I think that, you know, the guys we've brought in, good vets, uh, Luckily, we've already, you know, we've been together for a while other than the guys who are, you know, overseas playing all summer. Uh, we've been playing basketball the last couple of weeks together and, and just getting a little bit of a head start on it. And, um, and and we know each other pretty well. So I think that it'll be pretty easy for us to, to kind of, you know, tag along and figure out things as we go because there's a lot that I, I have to learn that Joe and Donnie and all those guys already know about the system and, and how coach coaches and all that stuff. And um, we're just trying to be as quick a learner as, as we can and, and hopefully get it, you know, start off right. Uh, just to kind of follow up on that, Joe, you haven't been here for a few years. What are some of the things that Mike and the other new guys kind of most look forward to or, or oh. perhaps dread in terms of getting up to speed with Quincy's all those three hour practices we have right <laughs> um, I mean it's, it's not anything that's um, kind of too complicated I don't think and like Mike said we've got extremely um, intelligent guys that have been here and are still here and, and obviously the guys we've brought in so um, as intense as coach is he, he lets us play as well and 
um, I think that's a part of the reason the guys that are here are here because they can they can make plays and um, kind of let us play a little bit as well. So obviously we'll have rules, we'll have um, our, our system, which is um, defensively first, and then kind of getting out of that with with whatever offense we, we're going to run. But um, yeah, it's all pretty read based. Um, once you once you know the defensive side of it, the offensive side is is really easy because he lets us play. So. Um, the defensive ends are a bit more complicated, but at the end of the day, when you've got Rudy back there, it kind of solves a lot of problems. So, um, yeah, it'll take obviously a little bit of time, but it's not like I said. With, with intelligent players, it gets pretty, uh, it gets sped up pretty quickly. Ryan here in the front row. Then about two more questions. Joe, have you had a chance at all during the offseason to to communicate with Dante? And do you know where he's at with kind of the latest? I guess mentally as much as anything with the, yeah, the latest think, setback? Yeah, he was in Melbourne a little bit when I was there. and um, So I saw him a bit, obviously spoke to him um, a little bit too. But he, he's in a good spot, I think. Um, obviously at the start of the injury, when you, you first get injured, it hits you pretty hard, especially for him who's um, unfortunately been injured a little bit this, this last couple of years. But... Um, yeah, he's in a he's in a great spot. From like I haven't been here the last few weeks with the national team, but um, from all reports that, that our guys are saying he, he looks good. But um, you can wait till Quinn gets in here to get a, a real answer on where he's at. I don't know what targets he's trying to hit or, or whatever. But um, from a mental side, I think he's in a really good spot. I think he can can obviously can really help our team this year. Andy Tony, number forty five has a question. If time permits. Hell no. <laughs> Mike, uh, tell us, I, I know you worked out with Donovan a little bit. Oh, uh, they posted about it enough, didn't they? they? Did. <laughs> Jesus. And then, I mean, off the court, just kind of, what, what's the process like? I can't wait till Mike posts a picture about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's I'm the process bad. like of, of moving from a place you've lived for, you know, 11, 12 years now to, to a new city like Salt Lake? I'm sorry, I didn't even hear the question. <laughs> Two-part question. One, what did you do on court this season, especially with Donovan? Two, yeah. off court, just what's the process like of moving to Salt Lake? Oh, yeah. No, um, that was good uh, to, to connect with Donovan in the summertime and uh, get a couple of days of work in. Um, it's my first time really being around him, so just being able to spend time and uh, work on a game that we love and uh, you know, kind of send a message that we're getting ready for the year was pretty cool. Um, Secondly, just you know, the process of coming out here has been has been great. I mean, it's never easy moving uh, anywhere. Um, you know, kind of get the kids and the wife, everybody uh, up to speed and, and familiar with the community and stuff like that is is uh, is, is great. So the, the the fans and the support that we've had so far has been unreal, and um, I'm just looking forward to an exciting year uh, here in the city. Mike, what's the uh, ceiling of this team? Um. Well, obviously, our our ultimate goal is to win a championship. I think that's that's ultimately, but um, we're not fooling ourselves. Like we we've been there and done that. You know, we're we're gonna come in and work every day and um, try to maximize each day. So I think each day will 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 set us up for the next, and um, hopefully, we'll give ourselves the best chance of achieving each goal we we put out. Last question. This question is for both of y'all. Um, can you speak? This question is for both of you guys, plural, more than one. Um, 
So, you know, in basketball, they have duos, you know, shooting duos. You have the Splash Brothers. Mike, I'll ask you first. What do we call Bojan and Joe? Oh, my gosh. What do we call that? What do we call the well, duo? Like, like, like a nickname? Yeah. Like the Bojo know. show? <laughs> You've been thinking about that. I just like thought of it. There's no way you I just like thought it. about it. I swear. Thank you. Quick. Oh, Joe, I need one from you, too, please. Uh, th- uh, that one's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Donovan. There's Joe Ingles and Mike Conley at Jazz Media Day. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Cougar football with Jay Drew from the Deseret News. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle. DJ, PK, and Jay Drew joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. This is the local Sprint store near you. Jay, good morning. Good morning, guys. All right, Jay. BYU, two and three. You've covered them for years. What do you think and know about this team that the average fan doesn't know that would either set their mind at ease or let them know that disaster is imminent and they can at least brace themselves for it. Or maybe success is imminent and they should keep their keep their dauber up and not, not get too wound up about the loss to Toledo. Yeah, I mean, I just think uh, mediocrity is imminent. I mean, I just think they're just going to keep doing what they do, which is go finish around 500. Um, just, uh, you know, they basically aren't better than a lot of teams they play. They have to play near perfect to win, which they pretty much did against USC when they don't play perfectly, like they did against Toledo, missing a couple field goals, you know, having the interception at the end. Uh, then they then they lose, even to even to teams that they probably should beat. So it's just a I called it a, a fragile team, and I, I just think they're they're easily 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 breakable. And uh, I don't know if it's their psyche, their mentality, or just the fact that they're just not really heavily talented. Just, but they're just where they are. What they are, I guess, which is just pretty much an average, mediocre college football team right now. I can remember when I was walking across the stage at my college graduation, and they had my announcement, and they followed my name with, "He is." Imminently mediocre. So I can relate to the Cougars. <laughs> <laughs> Imminently yeah, mediocre. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there was, some, there was some hope when they got beat or when they beat USC and they beat Tennessee. But um, I think they were really exposed against uh, Washington. And then again, the other day, uh, the offensive line was supposed to be a strength of the team. And it's just, it's not. I mean, they struggle to pick up third and short. Um Sometimes the play calling doesn't seem to match the personnel they have on the field. And it just, I don't know. It just, uh, um, that loss at Toledo was, was pretty, um, 
pretty revealing. I think that uh, I think if BYU fans were hoping for a you know a nine ten win even eight win season, I think that probably uh, sent those hopes crashing down. It's just a team that just not real deep and not real explosive. So they have to, like I said, play almost perfectly to win, and and they obviously didn't do that against Toledo. So what do you think can happen with Jaron Hall? You know, I think he'll do well his first game because there's not a lot of tape on him. There's and there's not a lot of film out there, and I think uh, South Florida doesn't look like a very good team. So I think he should do well. I think the true test will come against Boise State and Utah State and in his second and third games. Um, but, you know, he's, a, he's an excellent athlete. He's uh, very confident. It seems like the players are really confident in him, at least the ones that talked to us after the Toledo game. Um, so I think he'll do well uh, off the bat, but I think I think it'll be a little bit like the USC guy, uh, Keaton Slovis. I think, I think uh, once there's film out on him and, teams can adjust to them that it might be a different story and and obviously the the talent level of the teams they play will go up in the second and third games how about that dj dj drew saying i think he'll do good off the bat i see what he did there baseball that was a baseball joke i got it he's (laughs) capable of playing unintentional but (laughs) you'll take it i'll take it just take it yeah So uh, it's fun to talk about quarterbacks, especially at BYU. There's a long tradition of that. But uh, everybody's running the ball on these guys. BYU has given up almost 221 yards a game. That is ranked 118th out of 130 schools. Why are they struggling to stop the run? I mean, this is really bad news. Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, you got to go back to it's a really young inexperienced linebacker core. Um, I think that's probably the heart of it. Um, but but if you, I think a little deeper, they don't seem to have an identity. They they go from a you know a three man front to a four man front, and then it it seems like they're still experimenting in a way. They don't they don't really know what they're going to hang their hat on. Um, they rotate like almost like hockey shifts with their defensive linemen and. I know they're trying to keep them fresh and all that, but it seems like they need Kyrus Tonga on the field on every play, and they just don't have that. And um, and and maybe it's because of his conditioning. I don't know. But if I were to put a finger on why they can't stop the run, I I would say number one, the the linebacking core is very uh, new, young, and inexperienced. And number two, they just haven't don't seem to have an identity yet of really what they want to do. So since it's imminent mediocrity, that doesn't bode well. What's going to happen then with the administration as far as what they do with the coaches? Wow, that's a, that's the whatever $64,000 question or whatever it is. I mean, I um, it's just, you know, it's almost like it's uh, I have different thoughts on it week to week. You know, obviously they beat USC and everyone thinks, you know, Kalani's maybe bought himself a couple more years and, and then they they look pretty bad at home against Washington, and maybe you can chalk that up to Washington's really good. But then this this loss at Toledo, I think, was was inexcusable uh, as far as Kalani's future goes. It's just there's there's too much funding for this program. 
they're spending too much money on assistant coaches. As Tom Homel said a few years ago, that to, to go out there and and to to not not beat a, uh, a you know a MAC team, well, granted an upper level MAC team, but a MAC team nevertheless. So uh, I think that was a really damaging loss. Um, what they'll do, I don't know. I mean, honestly, everybody's speculating, and and I guess I would include myself in that. But um, it's just. You know, Tom Homo is really, he doesn't talk to the media a lot. He really doesn't, if you look at what other ADs do, including Mark Harlan at Utah. So it's really difficult to get a read on kind of what he's thinking. And uh, and so, who knows, I guess is my short answer. So that's that's probably an accident, huh, Jay? What? That he doesn't talk to the media a lot. No. <laughs> I didn't ask you. No. <laughs> that's probably a what? It's probably not an accident, is it? Right. Oh, I mean, he doesn't sure. want to be. Yeah, he doesn't want to be grilled on this. It would be hard to answer this publicly. We're not halfway through the season yet, so there is an argument for just letting it play out, and maybe it will all be clear. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably what they're going to do. Um, I think uh, you know they got to consider what's this doing to recruiting and other things. I mean, there's a lot of other things to consider, but. Obviously, it, it, it's, it appears that that's the tack that BYU administrators are taking is to let the season play out and then decide. Okay, so with that in mind, going forward, I think most folks have an understanding of what they're up against, and they're up against more than they've ever been up against since pre-Lavelle Edwards days. So with that in mind, if they can find a way to get to eight wins, I think most folks would consider that fairly successful or successful enough under the circumstances how close are they to getting to that? Because it, you say it's eminently average or mediocre, but it doesn't seem like they're that far away from getting to where they could at least sell it as a decent season and decent program. Yeah, I think I think there's two critical games, uh, and that's Boise State and Utah State. And uh, I think they have to win, win at least one of those. And... Right now, those are looking like big ifs because both those teams appear to be better than BYU right now. Um, and so I think Kalani's record against rivals, those three rivals that everybody talks about, is I think he's 1-10, in 1-9, in nine, something like that. So if they go out and lose again to Boise State at home and then Utah State on the road, that, that would really be tough to ignore if you're a, a BYU administrator. But another bottom line is is how many people are going to show up to that Boise State game and but then also down the road when they play Liberty and and Idaho State. And if the fans vote, you know, by not showing up, that's another bad sign for for Kalani, I think. Uh, I would agree with that. I think fans, uh, no one fan has that much power, but all fans together have a tremendous amount of power. So I'm with you on that. And when fans vote with their with their wallet and they do or don't show up, I think that speaks volumes. Um, but I would say, and you can correct me on this if you want, uh, that if they split those two games with Boise State and Utah State, if they beat everybody else, and they're eight and four, and what did you really expect? Yeah, I I I, I agree, totally agree. I think if they get to eight wins, it's uh, it's you know they can consider it a success. Um, 
but for sure. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I, th- I think they can probably stumble one more time, uh, maybe two, uh, maybe that San Diego State game at the end. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think they can afford to lose more than two more games and, and, and basically keep everybody happy, so to speak, and, and keep people saying that it was a successful year. You talk about not having depth. What's been the issue there? They just can't find the players? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things. They, retaining players, you know, everyone knows that academically it's a, it's a very difficult school, and it's not only difficult to get kids into, it's difficult to keep them. And a lot of these guys that have been in the transfer portal have left, it's, it's because they haven't been able to, you know, to cut the mustard academically. And, um, and so that's a big part of it. I mean, you go back and look, when they – opened against Utah, their starting safety was a kid named Hayden Livingston, who's also the holder. And he's a he's a walk on, freshman walk on, returned missionary. And like they're trying to beat Utah with a freshman walk on <laughs> returned missionary at safety. I it's just like to me that tells you they have no depth. I mean, when you're playing a guy, and, and they did that because they moved Diane Gunwalaku to corner, and, you know, there are reasons for that. And Zane Anderson was, uh, at the time, was, was moved to linebacker. But still, you just wonder what what kind of, what happened to the recruiting when when you're basically having to play, you know, a guy with zero experience in the opener against your biggest rival. I mean, that, to me, that's just illustrative of, of kind of the lack of depth. And then, you know, they've had the injuries to Zane Anderson and other people, and and the, the backups just, just uh, there's a big drop-off, to be honest with you. Well, Jay, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in. Um, imminent, All right. I hope it wasn't too much of a Debbie Downer, but... Uh, imminent mediocrity kind of... Loss was, yeah. <laughs> imminent mediocrity kind of set a tone for that I segment. I feel great. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, th- all right. Well, it was thanks a for coming on, guys. There's Jay Drew from the Deseret News. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.